0: This is really cool. I'm really excited to, to, to speak on this. And if you've never heard this stuff before, this is great. If you have said this stuff before, hopefully you're going to hear a lot of stuff you've not heard before. Um, and I think that's going to be a good fun for you. First question I want to ask is this. Why do we need to do a Bible overview? And if you saw the little three minute video I sent out this week, um, maybe some of this won't be a surprise. I've got four reasons why I think everyone, whether you're yourself a Christian or not, should have some idea of what the Bible's about. The first reason, as you see on the handout, is it helps us to understand our culture. This is Tom Holland. He's a secular historian, not a Christian. He was asked on Twitter not long ago, name a book that's had a more profound effect on your life than the Bible. He responded by replying in tweet, if you live in the West, no book has had a greater impact on your life than the Bible. You don't have to have read it or even know the first thing about it for that to be true. Um, he's not the only historian to make that point. Uh, Jaroslav Pelican, a similar, uh, really seriously esteemed historian, but he says if you, um, if you were to get some sort of super magnet and suck up every bit of Western culture, which has some impact of, on Christianity, there wouldn't be anything left. Whether it's our laws, or whether it's our, our music, or our art, or, or our films, everything, one way or another, has Jesus' fingerprints on it. It's embedded in our culture. You can't understand literature without understanding the Bible. You can't understand art without understanding the Bible. You can't understand music without understanding the Bible. So if you're not a Christian here tonight, this is great. You're going to love this because you'll be able to look a lot more knowledgeable when you're walking around the art gallery. Um, the next reason you should take, take the, the Bible, um, I'm trying to understand the Bible outline, is that it helps us to read and teach God's word for ourselves. So here is a scene from the Lord of the Rings. And, and imagine if I plop to you, in the middle of that film, you've never seen anything of Lord of the Rings. And on, I, instead of showing the whole nine hour or 12 hour extended editions, I, I just show you five minutes in the middle. And you might see some blokes with pointy ears and some little chaps. And it might be interesting. You might see some battle scenes. But I expect you to be largely lost. What on earth is going on? And sometimes our Balberine can be like that. We're, we're reading, you know, you might pick up a psalm or, 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 you know, the book of Isaiah and not really know what's going on. It's like being launched into the middle of a film. What the heck's going on? Well, this uh, Bible overview is going to help us. Um, you may know in Acts chapter 8, um, Philip finds himself in, uh, in, in Samaria and he finds an Ethiopian reading the Bible. He, We're told he's reading a chapter from Isaiah, chapter 53. And um, Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch says, well, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? And so... Philip, knowing a bit more about the Bible, then opened the Bible to me, explained how Isaiah 53 is all about Jesus. So even if you're here tonight and you say, actually, I have a pretty good grasp of the Bible story, hopefully tonight is going to equip you to do a Philip and help explain the Bible better to those who know nothing. So when someone asks you about David and the Goliath or Noah's Ark or Daniel and the Lion's Den or whatever story they're telling you, you can say, actually, here's how it links to Jesus. Maybe that, maybe that could be useful. I'm, I'm hoping this overview will also help us to grow in our trust and obedience of God. So, this is not just an academic exercise. And you might be interested to know, throughout the Bible, there's lots of mini Bible overviews. They're all over the place. Um, I put uh, four on your sheet here, Nehemiah 9, Isaiah, uh, Psalm 78, Acts 7, Hebrews 11. There's lots of little Bible overviews. And they all have a purpose. And, and I love this one in, in, in Psalm 78. It, it's at the very beginning of the Bible overview, in this song, he says, Here's the purpose of it in red that are, are the next generation, our children, that they would put their trust in God and that they would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. We need to keep retelling the Bible stories. We need to re, keep, keep retelling them lest we drift and go astray. So hopefully that's us. Uh, first of all, I did a Bible overview. I think I was 19 years old. I mean, grew up in a Bible teaching church. I, I knew all the different Bible stories, but it blew my mind to see how they're all connected how the Bible is just one story, I, I, I found it astonishing. But here's the, the, last, uh, the last reason um, I think we need to know the Bible storyline, is to help give us perspective in life. I think here in the West, our default mode is that life is all about me. Uh, and and we're, we're encouraged to tell our own story and you be you and all that sort of thing. And actually, I, I think we're best served to see that our lives only really make sense if we see it as part of his story. And that's why we've called this series His Story. It's short for history. You get it now? Oh, yeah, makes sense. I get it. See, that's clever, isn't it? Um, so I, I remember as a child being taken on to birthday parties and, and ruining the birthday party because I wanted to win every game and I wanted to be the central attention. I wanted to open all the, par- all the presents. So my mum would say, Andrew, it's not your birthday party. And that's what we need to remember and as we, the more we see the Bible story laid out, we more we really realise it's not about me. It's about Jesus. But that's incredibly liberating, incredibly freeing. Uh, and to find locate our story in His story is brilliant. So that's why we need to do uh, we need to do a Bible overview. One, to turn to the person next to you. Which of those four reasons do you think most excites you? Why are you here tonight? Which of these things? Is most gripping you. What, what are you hoping to get out of this? Why not turn to the person next to you and chat about that for a few moments. Very yeah. good. It's come together. I should say at the end of um, we'll, we'll have bits of Q and A throughout um, this. So so whenever you think of a question, or I I might spark questions. Um, do, do jot them down and and they can. Uh, I'm sure your questions will help others. If you're thinking it, probably chance to ask someone else's as well. So I will have a bit of Q and A later. Um, this question we need to ask is: Is is the task of doing a Bible overview even Possible. Um, imagine I'd take you to the British Library and we were to pull out of the British Library and check out the British Library the last 3,000 years of English history. And not just English history, but everything written in English literature um, f- from the last 3,000 years. Okay, and we all checked it out. I and mean, Imagine we managed to read all of it and process all of it. Do you expect there to be one coherent plot line running through it? Chance are no. No. There might be some themes like the French... Ah, the French, you know, over there. Sorry, Alan. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, our, our enemies, you know, they, they, they might, um, you know, they, they, might, they might pop up every, every now and then. But, but, but you, you know, from, from our poetry to our, to our laws, uh, to, to our literature, you wouldn't expect there to be a one consistent plot line running through it, would you? And yet that is the Christian's claim. As you look at the Bible, here is 3,000 years' worth of a particular um, nation's culture, history, laws. And yet the, the claim is that there is one coherent plot line. So you see on the, I mean, secular historians will find this is an insane claim, but this is the claim. So here on my hand, in your hand, is 66 different books, 66 books. And, and yet uh, the New Testament claims... That they're really one book. Um, repeatedly, they're called the Holy Scriptures or the Scriptures. Um, and uh, elsewhere in, in, uh, in 2 Peter, um, the Apostle Peter refers to Paul's letters also as Scripture. So you put the Old Testament and the New Testament together, written over vast distances, um, 66 different books. And yet we can say, no, there's one book. They're the Holy Scriptures. Um, around 40 different authors around that. And yet, Christians, we believe that there's really, behind these human authors, only really one author. Uh, we see here, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed, exhaled. Of course, it was humans who wrote it down, but it was the Holy Spirit who supervised those writings. Uh, there are countless different genres and subjects. So we have here history, poetry, law, we have sort of folk tales, we have laments, we have personal letters, public letters, um, weird apocalyptic dream language accounts, a v- whole variety of different genres and subjects. But really there's one subject in the whole thing. Again, you'll see Tim- uh, Paul writes to Timothy that the scriptures are all able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. No matter where you are in the bible nahum or, or, or psalm 13 they're all able to make you wise for salvation in jesus christ and, and jesus actually made the same claim you might remember in, in luke 24 jesus is well we don't know it's jesus at the time but he's he's walking with those two disciples on the road to a mess and um they're, they're a bit gutted because the guy they thought was the messiah just got crucified and they're really gutted and, and this unknown man who's actually jesus walks alongside them and and th- this man jesus says to them oh, why are you surprised? Didn't the scriptures say these things had to happen? That the Messiah had to die and suffer? No, like, really? Did it? And so we're told beginning um, uh, from the starting from the beginning that this man, Jesus, then opened the scriptures to them and explained how all the scriptures were really about him. And we're told that their hearts burned within them as Jesus led them on that Bible overview. They're all about him. And I love this picture. I don't see it before, but this is a, a diagram of, of all the um, uh, promises and and the fulfillments from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Someone's put them together in a nice, pretty graph. All the promises and all the fulfillments. See that all the scriptures point for wherever you are. Point forward uh, to Jesus. Um, it's written over millennia. Uh, I think Job is probably the oldest book in the Bible. Um, and, uh, let's say, Revelation, probably the last one written. Uh, and yet, all of it's planned in eternity. All the twists and turns in Israel's history, they've all been planned out. No mistakes. Um, it's absolutely brilliant. Sometimes when people ask me, what's the most convincing proof for my atheist friend? What's the most convincing thing I could say to prove the existence of God to them? Now, we could go to sort of the beauty of creation and, you know, clever uh, philosophy and things like that. But I think the coherent witness of the Scriptures which is so hard to fake, <laughs> is, is just the most astonishing miracle. And, and I think any, anyone who's seriously looked to this, their minds are blown to see all these promises and the fulfillments uh, coming about. Okay, let's go back to basics. What is the basic plot of the Bible? I don't want to assume that all of us have a working understanding. Um, let's start really basic. What, here's the basic the storyline. Story it's basically like a night swoosh. Uh, it starts with creation, everything's good. Then it all goes bad because of human rebellion. Then God redeems it, and then one day he's going to completely restore it, and it's going to be better than it was at the beginning. And, and the reason it's worth noting this sort of basic plot line is because in the West here, pretty much every story has this plot line. That the Bible story has had such an imprint on our culture that it's really hard now for people to write a story which has a different plot, which has a different structure. Um, this has been observed by a guy called Peter Lightheart. I love this quote. i can read it to you. He says we can't help but retell his stories in our own. God's story tells of a good creation marred by rebellion and curse, which is overcome by the coming of a redeemer to restore the world. All other stories are contained in that basic story. This does not mean that every writer is self-consciously and deliberately writing Christian allegory. It means that every writer tells stories that reflect in some way God's story, somewhere even in the stories of the most rebellious storyteller, God's story shines through. This is absolutely true. And as someone who appreciates film and, 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 and TV, you see this again and again and again and again. You can't get away from it. Uh, case in point, um, I don't know if you saw this on BBC a few years ago, A Perfect Planet, narrated by uh, David Attenborough, of course, a you know, famous atheist. And, and yet it begins with these words. I'm going to attempt my best David Attenborough accent planet earth <laughs> was perfect but now a new force is sending our perfect planet off balance humans it, and that's there you go so we got uh, creation fall and the rest of the series you know it's, it's saying like there's there's hope if only we managed to sort out climate control if only we managed to you know save the dolphins or whatever it is so there's, there's this swoosh story arc he's an avowed atheist but it's, it's embedded in our DNA here in the Western world, this, this, this story arc. So I challenge you, next time you're watching TV or a film, ask yourself, how is this reflecting the Christian plotline? I mean, Harry Potter, really obvious example, Christian plotline. But, but there's, you know, there, there, anything, you can do it with anything. If you want a more complicated Bible, uh, sort of, this isn't complicated at all, another basic summary is that it starts good in, in the Garden of Eden, but because of human rebellion, God's people are exiled eastwards out of the garden. Um, God makes a promise to a guy called Abraham that one day there'll be a return back to the garden. But for a while it gets worse and God's people end up in slavery in Egypt. But then God rescues them outwards. So they go out of the east and they're sort of back westwards, as it were. And along the way, he gives them his law, reflecting what he is like. They get a kingdom, a great king. And, and, and in part, this seems like a return back to Eden but, but then because of a disobedience again they're exiled eastwards they go back uh, into slavery this time in Babylon but a few hundred years after they come out of uh, that slavery that exile a redeemer another king comes along calling himself the Messiah he lived the law which Moses gave and yet he took the death that you and I deserve because of our sin he died in our place and he established the kingdom of God. And this is the future hope that we're longing for a kingdom, a garden city. So there you go. That's a little more um, detail if you want to hang your hat on, on what we're doing over the next uh, 10 weeks or so. We're going to skip over what order you can read the Bible in. Um, you might be interested to know uh, a little about that. But if, if you're here tonight and you're just looking at Christian things, I generally encourage you to start with the Gospels. If you're an alien and you were trying to explain the game of football to an alien, what would you show them? To understand the game of football, I doubt you'd open the football rule book and sort of flip through it. I, I, and, and I doubt you probably—I sh- doubt you show them pre-match commentary with Gary Lineker waffling on about the match. you would probably just want to show them the football match, wouldn't you? And, and the Bible can be explained like that. That the Bible is essentially um, pre-match commentary, Old Testament, the match, which is the Gospels, and then the rest of the New Testament, which is post-match analysis. And you can break it down. So if you, if you're, um, if you ever meet an alien, um, that's how to explain football. But if you want to help someone understand uh, what the Bible's about, start with the match. Start with Jesus. And um, but there's different Bible, there's different ways in which the, the Bible books have been ordered. And it does have an impact on how we apply and read them. But I'll leave that for another time. So then, as we draw to a close of this rapid introduction, um, how do we approach this puzzle? Okay, 66 different books written over thousands of years by countless different authors. How do we approach the puzzle? Hands up if you like doing puzzles. By the way, jigsaw puzzles, weirdos. I, I, I don't get it. I have three siblings, and um, at Christmas they pulled out this 5,000-piece jigsaw puzzle, and, and genuinely had fun doing it. And I was looking at them like, "What are you doing? Why would you choose to do that?" But I gather there's different strategies, aren't there? Um, some people, when they're when they're making it, when they're doing a jigsaw puzzle, some people. Um, Arrange things by colour, so it's like a, imagine it's a red London bus, and they they get all the red bits and they put it over there, and then they get the green tree and put it over there, and they arrange it by colour. Other people they do the edges first, don't they? And they do the corners and the edges, and then sort of work inwards. Hands um, up if you're a colour person. Just Will Hog. <laughs> That's a terrible straight. Yeah, it's the wrong way of doing it. But wait, people have voted. Uh, Hands off if you're a corner person, corner and edges. Okay, that's most. Okay, there are better or worse ways, but you, you wouldn't say Will's wrong, would you? Okay, maybe you would. <laughs> His wife would. Yeah. So there we go. You can say both are valid strategies. Work from the oldness illustration. Both are valid strategies. Thank you. Um, but but of course there are different there are strengths and weaknesses to each one. Well, I think so it is with 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 uh, with Bible overview. Hands up if you've done a Bible view before. Okay, I bet, chance are, it's been a kingdom Bible overview. This uh, theologian called Graham Goldsworthy uh, wrote a very famous book called Gospel and Kingdom, and it was then repackaged and rewritten by an Englishman called Vaughan Roberts, who wrote God's Big Picture. And he essentially said, the Bible could be structured like this. It's all about understanding the kingdom of God, God's people in God's place, living uh, under God's rule and blessing. And that's a really big theme in the Bible, the kingdom of God. And uh, we're going to use that as well. Uh, we're going to incorporate that into the, what we're doing. I think that's like the big red bus strategy. I think that's the Will Hogg strategy. Okay? It's a really good way of doing it. Um, there are other things you could do. So um, you could trace through the different offices in the Bible. That are the prophets, the priests, and the kings. That's a recurring strategy. And again, we'll be incorporating that into what we're doing. But the, the main thing, I'm, I, I'm, perhaps the new thing to you, um, we're gonna, is by looking at this issue of covenant, God's covenant promises, um, a covenant is basically a binding promise between two parties, and there's different sorts of covenants, aren't there? So, um, a marriage is a covenant. Um, so, Hannah and I made that 13 years ago, made made vows to one another as a binding covenant, uh, sealed with an oath. You, you know, with, with an exchange rings. Um, that's a covenant, but then so's a tenancy agreement. You know, if you're, if you're renting your, your, the house or the flat you're living in, you, you've made a contract, you've made a covenant with, with your landlord. Now, marriages and, and aren't the same as, um, as a, rental, you know, a, a rental agreement, are they? Both are covenants, but they're not the same. And so it is in the Bible that there are lots of different covenants, but they're not all the same. And part of the challenge is differentiating and understanding the different types uh, within them. We're going to follow seven different covenants. Uh, beginning with Adam in, in the second session today um, but then Noah and then Abraham and Moses and, and Levi and then David and then Jesus um, you might argue there's an there's an eighth one the covenant of redemption but um, we won't go into that um, but that's basically the schema of what we're going to do we're going that's the I would like to argue that's the edges of the of the jigsaw puzzle okay that's the corner strategy and and that's that's the main uh, path we're going to take through I'm aware I was deliberately moving very quickly then, so I may have rushed over things. You'd like me to clarify or push further on, so please do. Josh, yeah. So the question is for the recording. Um, how do we defend the authority of the Bible? Obviously, it claims to be breathed out by God, but, you know, someone's not a Christian, they take that at face value. So how, how do we make sense of that? And, and the second part of the question was, who set the canon of Scripture and how did that come about? Yeah. Is that fair? Um, so, the, yeah, the first the first thing is, yes, the Bible does claim to be God-breathed. And, and in one sense, f- for my sceptical friend, I, I normally ask them, have you, have you ever read it? Because um, I, I think proof's in the pudding. Um, often the most sceptical people could be really won over simply by reading it <laughs> and saying, oh, no, there is something very different about this man, Jesus Christ, and, and what he says. Um, and, and simply by reading it really can, can, can blow people's minds. Um, so often that's place to get to begin. And, yeah, I... I, I I think, whilst yes, the Bible has very vaulted claims about itself, you know, very high claims about itself, and um, one could see that as like a circular loop. Well, it, says it's, it doesn't mean to say there's no external verification of the um, historicity of these things and um, the archaeological evidence, the the philosophical in, in in a coherency of it. I think these things, um, you know, science or whatever it might be. I think these things sort of validated. Um, but we don't need them, but it's, it's useful for, for our own confidence you know, that, that these things are true. Um, the second part of the question about who set the canon, yeah, the, there are various books of the Bible, um, pieces of literature in, in the Old Testament and, and the New, which didn't make it into, into our canons. So in the Old Testament, for example, there's a whole bunch of uh, writings which are written in between the, in, what we call the intertestamental period um, and for the deuterocanonical books, and they didn't make it in, like Maccabees, for example, Maccabees is just a history describing the Maccabean revolt. There's nothing, you know, inaccurate in it, but it's not scripture. And that's because the Jews never considered it scripture in the same way that they did, for example, the, the book of Daniel or, 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 or the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Um, so for the Old Testament, the Jews um, had an agreed canon, um, but they, they deliberately left out um, those deuterocanonical books like, like one and two Maccabees and so on. Um, our Roman Catholic friends, that they would have those books in their Bible because um, Alexander the Great, when he conquered the known world, he sort of collected up all the writings of all the cultures and he wanted them all written down for his library. And, and so and he translated them out of the Hebrew and into the Greek, the Septuagint it's called. And he didn't just, trans, he didn't just uh, do that with the, the Hebrew uh, canon, he also did that with their extra books like Maccabees. And that's why later the Roman Catholic Church uh, came to adopt those books as Scripture Although the Jews never considered them canon, yeah. So your question is about uh, covenants and contracts um, between equal powers or different, different higher powers and lower powers. I think, in part, I want to say we'll see that answered throughout this this series. There are different co- various points in, in in the Old Testament, people use the term covenant to describe human relationships. Um, David makes a covenant with Jonathan, for example, but we're not going to. But, but we're not going to put that on a par with say God's covenant with David which is a very different type of covenant. So the, the same Hebrew word is used, berit is, is the same word is used for covenant but they're, they're different um, but we'll, we'll see that. So in part I just want to say let's, let's, let's see what happens as we do our oh, by the way. Good question though. Hey. Um, you were saying about story plot lines mm. um, and how saying about it being the sort of basic plotline that we see in Western stories. Mm. You seem to have deliberately said Western. So what, yep. was the, what was the reasoning behind that rather than saying human plot lines? Yes. Um, I want to say in Western art and literature, definitely. Um, because the, the, the gospel has so permeated the West and has been there for so long that it's really impacted things. Um, it's fair to say that the gospel has been in, say, Africa or Asia and, and has has had historically uh, less time there to change its culture, change its uh, and have an impact on its uh, on its literature and its writings. Um, and so it will have a less of an impact on their literature, their art. However, I think that I, I agree with your uh, part of the question behind your question, uh, which is that I think that the, common, the human experience, there's a con- commonality in all human experience, whether you live in Japan or whether you live in England, um, whereby we recognise we live in a broken, fallen world and uh, we, we know we need a rescue and where we looked for that would look different. But, but anyone who's watched a bit of Japanese cinema will know that their plot lines are very different to ours. Can I give you an example? Like Spirited Away, have you seen Spirited Away? The, the Studio Ghibli plot? That's a really weird film, isn't it? And and it doesn't have the, the, the usual story arc that we come to, and that's partly why it's quite discon- disconcerting and unsettling as you watch it. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. All human experience is the same, but but particularly in the West, we see we see this impact. So it's a matter of it's a matter of degree rather than you know, yes in the West, no in the East. Yeah. 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 yeah go on, Katie. You talked about the different ways that we can approach the puzzle of the Bible. So the kingdom, which um, might be familiar with or have a covenant which we're going to go through, and then office. Mm. Can you very briefly describe what the office point like view is? Yes, so we're gonna see and we'll see this in a moment's time. Office the off yeah, not like your work office where you have your computer and yeah, but but rather the, the, the office of prophet, priest and king is a really commonly recurring theme. Um, I, I could have had a thousand different points under this, honey. Uh, um, you can do a Bible overview on anything. I once wrote a 6,000-word essay on, on the biblical theology of thistles and thorns. So just, just plotting thistles and thorns throughout the Bible. You can, there's a coherent plot there. Um, clothing. You can do a biblical theology of clothing. You can do a biblical theology of marriage. You can, do, you can choose any plot or theme, uh, subject or theme, and then plot it and see how it, how it goes through. But the big ones, the big three... I would say these uh, kingdom, office, covenant. So I chose these. Yeah. Last question, Morgan. Yeah, Along those lines, I recently <clears throat> maybe was introduced, I guess, to a new this was a puzzle if you will, yeah. puzzle, and I'm curious just because it was based off of the passage in the road to Emmaus when he when he expounds for them the scriptures and he says, "This is what is written: and Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness." Of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning beginning at Jerusalem. But they're explaining it more like, yeah, creation in full, but also the selection of a chosen one, who then submits to suffering in and through, uh, passing through that judgment, and then in their redemption, and they're sort of coming out the other side, mm. then making uh, intercession for and achieving mm. uh forgiveness for the nations, mm. and I, I guess it was the very first time i would seen that particular movement mm. um is that familiar to you is that one that, just because i had not yeah yeah I, salvation I salvation that. through judgment yeah. well yeah the most first big time that comes up is uh, most explicitly is is the noah is noah narrative salvation through judgment and, and then you get again the passover salvation through judgment proxy of the red sea salvation through judgment it, yeah it's a huge plot line um we're going to see these, yeah, there's so many repeating themes. Um, yeah. So i would be ludicrous to say these are the only three. I just want to say these are the big three. Uh, yeah, maybe you can think of others.